time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. Best day of the week. And uh, Hancock and Kelly will hold forth till 11 o'clock. We'll join Amy and Chris here in a little while. Of course, you can see us every Sunday morning on Fox 2 right here in St. Louis at 8.30 in the morning for Hancock and Kelly, the television show. I'm Michael Kelly. I'm six foot nine, 185 pounds. John Hancock, what are you? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much checked out over here. I'm leaving for vacation tomorrow. Oh, vacation. Yeah. Where are you headed? Yeah, going up to Michigan. Well, it's nice to see you uh, get a t- little time away. It is. I, I you hardly ever you rarely get I, any time. I out. hardly ever get out of town. You gonna so. get that uh, swimsuit out and uh, lay out in the sun and oh, the speedo, show off buddy. the six pack? Yep, the speedo will be uh, fully engaged. It, it'll be good. I could put it on my six foot three, hundred ninety five pound body. Yeah, uh, the president, uh, the former president, uh, checked in the other day. Uh, got, obviously, got to fill out his own paperwork. Uh, it's he, like your driver's license. Yeah, he said he was six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds. I'm pretty sure he has a thigh that weighs that much. Don't they? What happened to the little uh, height chart behind you when, right. you when you get your mug shot? Taken? I think you know? Quick Trip bought them all, so they're right there on the doors on the way out of huh. Quick Trip, so they can see how tall you are there. They but didn't they, have enough. But they used to always do that. I remember, yeah. you know, looking at John Dillinger. All I mean, all of them have the little. Uh, yeah, height chart. It's him. it's laughable. It's also laughable that like he also got to self-report his own hair color. He called himself blonde and strawberry. Strawberry blonde. Strawberry blonde. You know, he's the only president in the history of the country whose hair was the same color leaving office as it was going in. The office. That's an interesting observation, and his weight has gone down since he left office. Yeah. So leaving the the White House, uh, it's that clean living, Michael. It's that clean living. You know, it 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 kind of is symptomatic of the larger thing with Donald Trump that almost anything that comes out of his mouth is not true. Why lie about your own weight? Well, I you know who among us has not gone in to get our driver's license every six years, and uh, maybe misremembered exactly the what the number was the last time we stepped onto the scale. How'd you do when you got your driver's license test? Were you a good a good driver because... Uh, oh, you mean when I was a kid? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was not, uh, shall we say, pristine. But it was like 80% or something, enough well, to get the, you the, the picture and on stuff? The, on the book stuff, I was great. Yeah. You know, here's the sign. That, that's yield, Michael. That right. means you let the other guy uh-huh. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say I'm slippery when wet or whatever. Right, <laughs> whatever right. Whatever those signs are, the little squiggly line thing. Totally. Uh, I was good on all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, where where I got tripped up a little bit was was driving the car. Yeah, and I've never had to take another driver's test since the first time we've Nor done it. I. Yeah. So that well, that's fortunate for you. So they make because uh, I know, spend a bit of quit time with you in the automobile, park. and you scare the heck out of me. Uh, you get me you parallel park out there, and I did. Uh, it took me. I don't know. Two shots. 15, 20 times. Uh, but I got her done, Michael. I, and it was cones, not cars. So, yeah. you know, if you're a little bit more free to, like, run over the cone. All right. But they, they, they tend to frown upon that when you run over the cone when you're parallel when, parking. When was the last time you went to get your license renewed? I don't know. Uh, four, three, four, five years ago. So I just did it about oh. six months ago. And I had, honest to God, not Trumpian, but truthfully, yes. I had lost weight. So I had said to the lady, hey, I'm about 10 pounds lighter than the last time I was in here for my... Uh, right. Yeah. That's what they said, right? Yeah. And the lady yeah. looked at me and said, okay, all right, whatever you're going to tell us. I'm sure that's what the sheriff had to think when 
when the Don came strolling in down there in Georgia. Hey, how about that uh, motorcade that took him to uh, the prison? Yeah, a lot of cars, a lot of motorcycles. I was surprised at the number of motorcycles. Yeah, well, he's just like everybody else. There right? were more cars in that motorcade in <laughs> Atlanta yeah. than I encountered on Highway 40 coming down here this morning. No doubt. Yeah. If all of those people had voted in Georgia, he may have found those 11,700-and-something votes Could that have. he was chasing. Could have. Uh, you know, they, we, well, we're going to talk about it in our politics yeah. segment. So uh, Tell people where you're going. Where are you going on vacation? I'm going to Lake Michigan. Really? Yeah. The, they call that the UP, the Upper Peninsula? No, 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 we've done that in the past, but now this is the LP. Uh huh. Lower. Well, it's not have a you, peninsula. I guess. Have you checked out the weather? What's it supposed to be like it's, in the 70s? 70s. Or? Six, yeah. 60s and 70s. It's going to be delicious. That's my kind of summer vacation, brother. Little, uh, you don't have to put the swimming suit on. Yeah. You just sit there, have a cocktail, and look at the water. I got uh, three books and I'm four books and I'm four. Reading. Yeah. Huh? And uh, so I'm I'm very uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out for a week. It'll be fun. How you getting there? Uh, we're driving. Live and local. This is St. Louis's News Radio KMOX. And welcome back to KMOX. This is our political segment, but you probably just heard there there was a wings promotion there, John Hancock, for uh, some type of wing fest. Are you yeah. a, are you a chicken wing guy? I do like chicken wings. Really? Yeah. I don't like uh, I don't like buffalo chicken wings. Oh, I love the buffalo chicken, but I have to have buffalo. them boneless. I, there is something about my teeth hitting yeah. a bone yeah. that's like fingernails on a chalkboard well, your teeth, to me. They are a bone. I get it, but you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever bitten into a chicken wing or yeah. something and gotten a piece of bone? It, it ruins my entire meal. I can't eat anymore. So now I just eat oh. the boneless chicken wings, which I think are just little pieces of chicken breast. Yeah, I'm sure that's Is right. that I'm what sure it is? Right. Yeah, but actually you're not, not eating the, the little chicken wings. Yeah, well, don't eat chicken wings if you uh, want to weigh in at 2.15. John, yesterday, the former president of the United States, flew from his country club at Bedminster down to Georgia late in the evening in primetime television, I think that may have been by design, got into a what looked like a presidential motorcade, meaning the current presidential mo- right. motorcade, took him to the Fulton County uh, jail where he uh, weighed himself in and told everybody what his hair color was. He was there about 45 minutes. He's been turned in. This is indictment number four. It's exhausting. It's a lot, and uh, it's a lot to deal with. It doesn't seem to have phased Donald Trump much. I think, you know, emotionally, he's not capable of grasping the reality of what could happen. I don't think he, well, I don't think it's likely that he'll ever go to jail. Uh, he's a Secret Service protectee. And even if, and I, you know, several of these cases, I think are going to be very hard to win convictions on. The only one I think that's even approaches a slam dunk is the documents case in Florida. And he's got a friendly judge and potentially a friendly jury there, friendlier jury than he's going to have in Fulton County, Georgia, or certainly Washington, D.C., or, or Manhattan for that matter. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, it, what's here's another interesting aspect to this. So Ken Cheesebro, the uh, attorney, Kind uh, of the architect uh, uh, actually the wrote the plan yeah, for the, the elector scheme. Um, he requested a speedy trial. And so Fonnie Willis, the prosecutor, the DA there, said, okay, we'll start in October. And what could happen here is that the, there's no way Donald Trump's case is going to start in October I, that, I, that I can see. I mean, the, the pretrial motions alone, they're going to try and remove the case to 
federal court. Sever himself from the larger conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and so all of that's going to play out over many, many months. But let's say, theoretically, that Cheesebro is given his wish for a speedy trial. I'm sure that's tactical on his part. He would then be tried alone, in theory. And let's say that October, and there's a trial, and Cheesebro's there, and he's an attorney, and he, you know, makes a defense, and I'm sure he'll have good legal counsel. Let's say he's acquitted in that case, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a very real possibility for him specifically. That is going, from a public opinion standpoint, uh, that's going to change everything. And uh, because Trump's going to claim that he's been exonerated, and right. and then you're going to play out from there. Uh, and in any of these cases that result in an acquittal or a hung jury, which I think is more likely, much more likely, Trump's going to claim that he's been exonerated. And, um, you know, for those people who believe, and I did believe at one point that there's no way Donald Trump could win election, I can see a scenario where that happens. Uh, I'm not happy about it, but I can see a scenario where that happens. Well, it will be interesting to watch, and uh, we've got just a year and a half left until we figure out who uh, gets reelected or elected to be president of the United States. Heck, by that time, Donald Trump Trump could weigh 185 pounds. <laughs> well, if he keeps so, his weight loss. Yeah, up. we'll keep we'll keep our eye on that. John, the debate took place, uh, the GOP debate in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, earlier this week. I watched it, Fox News. First time I've tuned into that in years and years and years. Um, interesting debate. Let me be clear. None of these people are my cup of tea. I think they're all crazy. I don't really care for their policies, but there were a couple that I thought were consistent with what I consider to be traditional Republicans. That would be Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. Mike Pence had a neutral night. Uh, you know, I expected him to do that. Mike Pence is a non-starter. He, nobody in the Republican party likes him. Surely nobody in the Democratic party likes him. Uh, he's probably there more out of respect, the fact that he was the former vice president. Uh, then you have Ron DeSantis, who uh, who kind of is just running to stand still. He's fell in the polls since uh, he got into the race. Uh, reminds you a little bit of Jeb Bush in terms of uh, a locomotive that just doesn't have any steam. And then this new upstart, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who seems to be getting a lot of attention. Did anybody walk away with a home run? Did anything change outside well, I mean, of the fact that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, there's, I can't see a scenario where Donald Trump isn't the Republican nominee at this point. Uh, I think it's a mistake uh, because he is, I think it was Nikki Haley that referred to him as the least popular politician in the country. And, you know, numbers don't lie. You look at his not. I'm not talking about within the GOP, but within the electorate broadly, he is the most unpopular politician in the country. His numbers, his favorable, unfavorable numbers, are worse than Joe Biden's. And uh, so, but I think he's going to be the nominee of the folks on the stage. If something should happen, <laughs> and there's some move away from Donald Trump for some reason that I can't foresee. I, I really think Nikki Haley distinguished herself in that debate. I thought she was well-informed. Uh, I think her policy prescriptions were right on. I I uh, agree with her uh, that America should play a major force in the world uh, and not be so singularly focused on our homeland and isolationism. I recognize there's a whole lot of Republican voters and some of our leaders 
who really are isolationists. Ramaswamy certainly is in that category. I think DeSantis is in that category. Certainly Donald Trump, I think you would put in that category. And uh, But the rest of the folks on that stage, I think, believe that the United States has a vital role to play as the leader of NATO uh, and a vital role to play as a stabilizing factor in the world. And if there is no stabilizing factor in the world, things get really scary really quick. Yeah, to that point, uh, it's a growing movement inside the Republican Party. There's some inside the Democratic Party that think we ought not be involved in these global wars True. and shouldn't be. Uh, but it's 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 mainly inside the Republican Party and seems to be growing. Regardless of what happens in this next presidential election, if Republicans continue on the trajectory there are, that movement's going to continue to grow inside the United States oh, Congress. No Do question. you see yeah. um, challenges to future funding of NATO, future funding yeah. of Ukraine going forward if the Republicans were to continue to hold the United States House. I know it was only what four thousand people in that crowd, but when the when the folks when Ramaswamy talked about not funding this effort in Ukraine and, and compared it to Afghanistan, uh, there was a lot of cheers in that room. Now, here's the difference between Iraq and Afghanistan and Ukraine is that in Iraq and Afghanistan we sent troops in. Uh, we haven't sent a single troop into Ukraine. What we're doing is arming them to defend their country from an aggressive invasion. And by Vladimir Putin, who has aggressively invaded a sovereign nation, a democracy, and uh, and they have, to date, thwarted almost all of the advances uh, from Russia. So uh, it's, it's fundamentally a different situation than Afghanistan or Iraq, whatever you may think, or Vietnam, I think Ramaswamy mentioned as well. That's not what this is. In fact, we're doing this precisely so we don't send U.S. troops. Because the minute Putin, if he would, if we would allow him to just walk in and take Ukraine, does anybody think he's going to stop there? No, I don't. And and as soon as he crosses into a NATO country, whether that be Poland or who knows, World War Three, it's you're yeah, we're all in at that point. Speaking of Putin, yes. the dictator in uh, Russia, uh, well, he eliminated one of his rivals. You remember just a short couple of months ago, there was an attempted, uh, uh, I don't know if you'd call it an insurrection or what was going to happen, where the Wagner group was going to to Moscow to try to overthrow oh, yes. Vladimir Putin. They got, what, about 100 miles outside of town, and suddenly they cut a deal. Well, that deal ended this week with that man getting blown up out of the sky by guess who? Vladimir Putin. Well, that's what uh, that's what we believe. You're referring to, of course, Evgeny Prigozhin. There you who go. Who was the leader of the Wagner Group? I leave all the tough names to you. Yeah, and uh, he was there. He was just minding his own business. <laughs> yeah, he gets up on the airplane there, and he's flying over Moscow, looking down, saying, "Wow, what a magnificent city this is!" Boom. And that was it. <laughs> you know, and I, I, you got to give it to Putin, though. Uh, he's been shoving his enemies out of windows of late. You know, after he poisoned a few, he was on a poison kick there for a while. And uh, he, he poisoned Navalny, who's now in prison. He's, he's, I mean, he poisoned a couple of foreign uh, defectors. Uh, he got off the poison. Right. He thought, eh, this isn't working. You know, these guys are living through the poison, some of them. Yep. So then he started shoving them out of windows. Uh, and that seemed to be fairly effective. He had a couple of his enemies. He just shoved out the window. Uh -huh. 
Well, this time he's getting ever more creative. Uh, so Prigozhin goes out the window, but he's, he goes out the window at about 15,000 feet. <laughs> and, uh, and splat, uh, that's the end. Now, look, Prigozhin is a bad dude. Totally. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, but, but, you know, Vladimir Putin is a thug. And he's a blemish uh, on the world order. Um, the one thing Ramaswamy said that I do have some sympathy for is this new alliance between Putin and China. And, you know, China essentially, uh, Russia has become the gas station to China. And they're selling them gas at a lot less money than the rest of the world would sell gas to China. Uh, that relationship, and you throw Iran in, into that mix, and then North Korea is its own whatever. But that relationship between Russia and China is scary. And I believe, unlike Ramaswamy, that that's yet another reason why we need to be uh, helping Ukraine defend itself. Well, our final topic in the political section, we're going to come home close. We're going to talk about the hypocrisy that's happening inside the same as St. Louis. John, let's go into a time machine three and a half years ago. All right. Uh, there was this big movement Man, led you, by uh, the mayor. You weigh a lot more. Yeah, I do weigh a lot more. Yeah. Uh, there was a big movement led by the mayor, mm-hmm. the current mayor of the city of St. Louis, saying, hey, we should close the workhouse, which is the second prison that existed in for the city of St. Louis and North St. Louis yeah. City right there. They canceled the federal contract that paid us to hold federal people. They, thereby costing the city money. Millions. That at the time, it didn't have. But, but John, they also were saying the inhumane treatment of uh, prisoners. There was constant protests. Uh, there was even a protest in front of the that, that mayor's house at the time saying the Post-Dispatch lead columnist would write every day, wouldn't this be a great day to close the city workhouse? You're talking about Tony Messenger? Now, this week we had a guy taken hostage. We've continued to watch the the, the situation deteriorate in our jails. And guess what? Silencing crickets from the progressives. Yep, we've only got eight seconds, so I heartily concur with everything you just said. It's Hancock and Kelly. We'll see you after this on KOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, hello there and happy Friday. Your last day of this ridiculous heat. It's only supposed to be 90 tomorrow. Sunday, it's supposed to get better, and then hopefully we'll start to take the slide towards fall, the best season in St. Louis. I'm uh, Michael Kelly. That's John Hancock and John. Uh, got a little sore elbow this morning, but I don't Maybe. think it's going to cost me a hundred million bucks. No. Uh, how about that shocking development in uh, Shohei Otani, the I think the greatest player in Major League Baseball right now, and could, if his career lasts as a pitcher and a hitter, could go down as one of the greatest players of all time in baseball. The guy's amazing. He's done things that no one has done, and he's done them over a number of years. He leads the league in home runs, and I think he leads all of Major League Baseball in home runs right now. Uh, but he was the MVP of the league last year, probably will be the MVP of the league this year. Uh, his pitching is amazing. He had one game earlier this year where he struck out 10 batters and hit two home runs in the same game. Uh, just incredible stuff. And uh, came out yesterday that he's blown out his elbow, might have to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, there's, Again, there's still some hope that he won't. Yeah, uh, 
and and here he's in his final season of his contract. He's going to be a free agent. He's going to be the highest paid baseball player of all time, and I think that's still the case. But uh, if he's not going to be a, a for sure two way player, a pitcher and a player, his value is going to suffer. Yeah. And so there were some estimates as high as six hundred fifty million dollars over ten years. Wow. Uh, for this guy, and he's certainly internationally the most marketable player in major league baseball right now when you think about his he's wildly popular in japan he's a known figure all over the world in a way like Lionel messi is to to soccer and uh yeah this is going to cost him some money as he negotiates out there with his agent and finds a new ball club to play for next year still going to be incredibly impactful with his bat but he may or may not be able to pitch again. Well, and uh, does the price tag suddenly become affordable for the Cardinals? This no. guy's not coming to the Midwest, is he? No, he's well. He's, you're still looking at probably a five hundred million dollar contract. I mean, you know, right. numbers that are just unthinkable just a year or so ago. And uh, no, I think he'll end up with one of the big money teams. I wouldn't be surprised if he moved down the street to the L.A. Dodgers. I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets went out, went after him. You know, they they their owner has been spending money like uh, like it's water, and uh, you could see that happening. The Giants, I think, are a potential suitor for Otani as well, and uh, so you know we'll we'll see. But no, I don't think the Cardinals. He's not in, he's not in the picture for the Cardinals. At the conclusion of every Hancock and Kelly show, uh, Hancock and I give each other a high five and say, "Boy, that was really great." We do. I'm glad that you haven't adopted this policy, Luis. Yeah, right. Rubiales. Rubiales, Luis who is Rubiales. the um, who is the coach of the Spanish female? He's not the coach. He's the uh, he's the like the president. Yeah, he's the president of the Spanish female soccer team uh, that was involved in the World Cup. Uh, well, he was seen after they won the World Cup giving a kiss on the lips to one of his. Uh, players and uh, Jenny Hermoso. Yeah, and it wound up being a big story. He said, "I'm not going to resign. I'm 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 not going to resign." Well, the player that he kissed said, "Yeah, uh, he did kiss me, and I didn't like it." Uh, Jenny Hermosa did not like the kiss from Luis Rubiales. So number one, it's like watching one of those. Let's continue <coughs> with the high one fives. Of those novellas on the Spanish. You ever watch those on the Spanish network? No. Oh, uh-uh. all right. No, but uh, let's continue with the hand f- high fives here with the Hancock and Kelly. But I don't know. This seems like this guy's going to be uh, seeing the door here soon because when the person that – it's one thing that if you had a uh, a consensual kiss between you and, well, I guess, one of your players and it was accepted, that's one thing. But when she comes out and says, I didn't like it, what was this guy thinking? Well, he was happy. Michael. He was, uh, <laughs> they had just won the world. They defeated England one to nothing. That's uh, often the score of a soccer match, <laughs> and uh, and and there they were, and there was the lovely and talented Jenny Hermosa, yeah, standing right there, and here comes Luis Rubiales, and yeah. he grabs Jenny Hermosa mm. by the back of her head, hey now, one arm around her waist, Ooh. and he pulls her close, and he kisses her on the lips. Yeah. That's probably not a good way to go. It reminded me of that Modern Family episode. I used to love Modern Family. So there's an episode where Phil, who's a, a real estate guy, uh, he's got this this client, and these guys spending big money. Phil's going to make a lot of money, and the client invites Phil and his wife over to the house for dinner. And so they walk in, 
He shakes Phil's hand and he kisses Phil's wife on the lips. Uh huh. And Phil's oblivious to the whole thing, and the wife's very uncomfortable. Right. And uh, so she finally pulls him aside. She said, "Phil, did you see? He kissed me on the lips, and you said nothing." And so, so he goes off on. So he goes off on the client. They lose the account. Right. As they're leaving, the guy's mother comes in. He kisses her on the lips, and then, <laughs> and then his his son comes in and he kisses him on the lips. It was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Uh, you know, that's a show I never got into, but it's one that you, like, watch almost daily, right? Well, not anymore, but, uh, yeah, it was a fine, fine show. I liked it. Very yeah. well written. Uh, you know, it does bring up, like, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. This is clearly not appropriate. We have a, I have a coworker in one, one aspect of my life who's recently lost a bunch of weight. Is that right? Yeah, about 30 pounds. And uh, I didn't know if it was appropriate to say to him, hey, I've noticed that you've, you know, congratulations, you look great. Well, thanks, Michael. So, so I saw that person, well, yeah, uh, if you're on the Trump diet, I guess, huh? <laughs> so I saw that person outside of the office the other day, and I said to that individual, I said, listen, I know I'm probably not supposed to say this in a work setting, so we're not there. You look great. Keep up your weight loss. And the person said, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. I've been working really hard at it, blah, blah, blah. But and it's one you, of those sticky you, areas, and man. And you kissed her on the lips. Then I kissed her on the lips. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's one of those sticky areas. You don't. Well, you, you just don't know what. You take the training, Michael. Did you not take the training that we all have here? I took the training Odyssey? in an appropriate amount of time because mm-hmm. I'm prompt. You, Mr. Hancock. I was the last person in the company. In the entire company, and it's not like the name. Not like there's a bunch of John Hancocks that work at Odyssey. There were two. Oh, really? Yeah, I think the one retired because I I used to be John Hancock dash two. Uh, ah. But now I'm just John Hancock, so I guess he retired or got fired or something, poor guy. Well, he is John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. Hey, there's a proposal inside the city of St. Louis to maybe get rent under control, uh, and they've got a renter's bill of rights, which is going to the Board of Aldermen. Some of these ideas may be good. Some of them may be bad. What could possibly go wrong? We'll talk about it after this right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. I learned something interesting this week. What's 60% that? of the people who live in the city of St. Louis, uh, inside the city of St. Louis yeah. borders, not St. Louis County, just the city of St. Louis, yeah. rent. They're renters. They're renters. All right. Uh, that may not be a surprise to many. Uh, you know, a lot of cities, uh, especially in the very concentrated urban areas, you're going to have uh, housing projects and uh, apartment complexes, etc. Then lots of people would be renting. Um, but there is a push by the president of the Board of Aldermen, Megan Green. I believe she was on KMOX earlier this week talking about this to impose a renter's bill of rights in the city of St. Louis. This would, uh, if it would be introduced on September 15th when the board comes back in from their summer break, it would help the city better keep track of who's owning certain properties. Uh, so if there's issues with the properties, the local agent requirement, et cetera. So what it would do is give the city an idea of who owns properties, how much they're charging, et cetera. This comes on the heels Why of... Is it their business? Well, this comes on the heels of a bill that was introduced and enacted last year that provided... Funding, government funding uh, to attorneys for tenants facing evictions proceedings. And Megan Green and, and many people on the Board of Aldermen are arguing, hey, the rent's too doggone high inside the city of St. Louis, and we ought to have some type of a renter's bill of rights. Uh, I think in the broad concepts of it, it makes some sense. 
But I think ultimately where they're headed here is with rent control. Oh, you mean limiting how much rent you can charge well, on the property that you own and that you're making available to people to live there? Yeah, well, that's one of the things that uh, apparently is not allowed by state law right now. So they're imposing some of these other um, restrictions that would then allow a better understanding of what's going on. The, another positive thing that's coming from it is if, hey, if you get tax incentives for a new development inside the city of St. Louis for housing, some of them have to be affordable housing. If you don't choose to do affordable housing in a big high-rise development, then you have to pay into the affordable housing uh, fund because you are getting taxpayer dollars. I can understand all that, John. But What's affordable housing? It's a good question, right? Who decides that? Yeah. Is it the Board of Aldermen who's decided that they're going to pay for people who are deadbeats on paying their rent? They'll pay for their legal fees? I mean, this is just kind of, to me, seems to be yet another one of these steps forward where people who um, are criminals or people who aren't paying their rent or people who aren't paying their taxes or getting their licenses renewed seem to have more rights in the city of St. Louis than those of us who are doing our regular work. Well, let's see. And who are paying the 1%, who would like them to pick up our trash on time, who would like them to police our roads, who would like them to pave our roads. I just feel like we're always out there fighting for folks that uh, find themselves in uh, vulnerable spots. That's noble, but it's being done at the expense of basic government services. Well, let me see if I've got this straight. So I'm going to buy a property Mm -hmm. in St. Louis, uh, a house maybe. There's plenty open. Yeah. Lots of abandoned houses. Uh, And then I'm going to rent that house out to tenants. You're going to fix it up and rent it out. Yeah. And I'm going to turn that into a little revenue maker thing for me. And... Now I've got somebody that won't pay the rent. Mm -hmm. So they got to go. Yep. You don't pay the rent, you got to go because I'm losing money on this place, and this is an income uh, maker for me. And more than likely, you're going to have to get a lawyer to start a process to take that renter out of your spot. now the city of St. Louis is going to pay my deadbeat tenant to go to court and sue me to stay in the house that they're not paying the rent for that I own. Yeah. That is wrong. And you know what's going to result from that, Michael? What's that? Let me tell you what's going to result from that. You've got a city right now that used to be 800,000 people before I was born. Uh, Now we're less than 300,000 people. I think it's 280-something and declining continuously. You are driving people out of this city by these kind of policies. Nobody is going to want to come in here and be a landlord. You got to register with the city. You got to tell them what how much rent you're charging. Mm-hmm. That's none of their business. And you know, it, this is it, it's a failure to understand how a market economy works, and it is killing this city. And you're seeing businesses leave. Now you're going to see landlords leaving, selling their property to who knows what. You got all these vacant properties already out there. Uh, you know, they're trying to address homelessness, but you got people living on the sidewalk. Well, and that's just my point is that you're worried about what's going on and you're giving, you know, government funding for uh, lawyers to be able to fight somebody who hasn't been paying their rent. Yet some people can squat right on your front lawn and they tell you there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, so it just seems to me the Board of Aldermen uh, and many of the folks who have this progressive thought process, they've got good ideas. I no, guess if you're trying to create a utopia— but these are people who can't do the basic government services, yet they want to fix these other problems. It makes no sense to me. I think about so many people. You know, St. Louis is one of the oldest regions in the country, which means that we were here and there's lots of people. Lots of our young people are going elsewhere to live now. Yep. So mom and grandma may be living in a house that they paid for 20 years ago. 
and now suddenly they're going into the next part of life where they need to be in assisted living, and a family may be using that house to rent out to be able to afford to pay for mom's uh, assisted living, and now here comes the long arm of the city government going to say, no, 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 this person who's not been paying you so that you can pay your fee to Delmar Gardens or whoever it might be uh, is going to be able to have attorneys paid for by the taxpayers. Now, look, I'm for this, John. I, the reason I'm a no, the reason I'm a Democrat is I want to help those who can't help themselves. All right, then. And and that, that's truly what I believe. But I, my problem is, is we've got all these ideas to help the wrong people. I mean, we're out helping criminals. We're you know doing away with cash bond. We're not policing. We're not uh, you know we're not heck. We're not even operating operating a good prison. We're going to go and give five hundred dollars away. But here's somebody who's paying their taxes paying their property taxes, wants to rent their place out, maybe to pay for grandma to be in the assisted living. And here comes the government to say, no, we're going to help the deadbeats, not you. And Bob, because why should you be complaining? We pick up your trash. No, you don't. Oh, we pave your roads. No, you don't. Oh, we police your streets. No, you don't. I mean, it's just, you just want to sometimes just say, am I living in an alternate universe where everybody who is elected wants to do all these pie-in-the-sky ideas but not do what they were elected to do, which is run basic government services? Well, and, and, you know, the problem is so endemic, and it's not just St. Louis. Uh, You've you've got this in a lot of old-line central cities across the country where crime is spiking. You've had all of these prosecutors, the Kim Gardenesque prosecutors elected. Um, in fact, that's a guest I want to have on one day. The guy, the guy's kind of outlined how this whole progressive prosecutor thing has developed over the last less than a decade and the just incredible success they've had getting these folks elected who won't put anybody in jail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these problems, these problems spiral on themselves and they exacerbate and they, you, so now, now you've got a situation where the people who are willing or trying to make ends meet by having a rental property, it's a source of income for a whole lot of Americans out there, and you're basically telling them, yeah, we don't want you here. And if you've got a tenant that won't pay, too bad. Uh, we're going to take you. We are going to take the taxpayers of the city are going to take you to court. And it's just it's wrong on and- so many levels, so wrong and so harmful to the growth and prosperity of this town. Yeah, and it, you know, and I I'm caught in a particular weird spot because I'm what I consider to be a traditional democrat. I live in a progressive city where we've embraced these uh very pie in the sky ideas to the point where we, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to the bad actors as opposed to the taxpayers. Then I look down the road, Highway 70, down to our uh, state capitol, and those folks are trying to push legislation, which doesn't affect anybody. You know, they want to continue to legalize guns to the nth degree. And I just wonder at times, and I think a lot of people in St. Louis feel this way, who represents me? The guy who's getting up in the morning or the lady who's getting up in the morning, going to work, paying for her parking, walking to their offices, paying the 1%, Going back home, having to avoid people that may carjack you, hopefully that you won't lose your tire in one of the potholes that exist throughout this entire region, and then to go home and see, hey, guess what? They didn't pick up your trash yet again. You just wonder, who's out there advocating for you, the people who are out paying the taxes? There seems to be a lot of voices out there who want to say what we ought to be doing for those who can't do for themselves, and we have a lot of people who want to get down in Jefferson City who want to morally legislate the way that you should be acting when the rest of us are just trying to work, 
get by, and survive. Paid for by Michael Kelly for mayor, John Hancock, treasurer. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, buddy, I think you could pull it off. I don't know. I, the voters in the city of San. Well, this is a this is an electorate that selected Cory Bush, who refused to support Boeing, who refused to support NGA, who uh, you know has wants to defund the Pentagon, has problems with Israel. It's elected the mayor of the city of San Luis, who closed the cr- criminal the uh, workhouse, who said, "Hey, I'm going to bring back uh, you know a prison that's safe, etc." That's a complete disaster. Kim Gardner, our prosecutor. This is what this is what the voters are electing. And John, I look at polling. It doesn't seem like there's much change out there. I think people are okay with these ideas, and they like the fact that Rome is burning. Speaking of polling, our next guest is with St. Louis University, uh, and they've done their St. Louis U YouGov poll, weighing in on the presidential election and a host of other issues. He's going to join us. After the break, underline three lawyers. Get Jim.com studios. KMOX. What defines us is who we are as a collective group and, and uh, how we progress and gain momentum through the season. The Coach's Corner with St. Louis City Coach Bradley Carnell. Mondays at 935 on America's Sports Voice. KMOX. It's Hancock and Kelly, and on Friday on KMOX, we were both the executive directors, and John, you were the chairman of your party for a long time here in Missouri, you the Republican Party. Imagine that. Me, the Democratic Party, and uh, at the time that you and I both had those jobs, Missouri was one of those states that mattered. It was a toss-up state. Yes, it was. We go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line, where we're joined by Stephen Roberts. He's a Ph.D., uh, Rogers. Rogers, I apologize. PhD. He's the director of the SLU YouGov uh, poll, and uh, he joins us right now on KMOX. Hello, uh, Dr. Rogers. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you two doing? Well, we're doing great. And like I was saying, when we were uh, running those parties, this state was a toss-up state. It was just, what, a short decade or two ago. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Wow, this is one red state, isn't it? Uh, Missouri has trended to become more Republican over the last about 10, 15 years. Um, And then that is kind of what our poll that we released on Wednesday kind of also confirmed um, when we're thinking about potentially the 2024 presidential race or even what people think of different political actors. Yeah, and it probably is best pointed out by the approval ratings of our elected officials in the state of Missouri. Uh, The Republicans do quite well, don't they? No, the Republicans do very well, um, especially as compared to, say, the Democrat that we pulled on um, within our poll. Um, so, for example, Mike Parson, uh, Governor Mike Parson, in our poll uh, for the third straight poll was the most popular or most approved of political figure um, within the state of Missouri, um, polling with, say, 49 percent approving and then 43 percent disapproving of his performance. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, only 38 percent of voters approve and 60 percent of voters disapprove. And most of that approval is coming from Democrats within the country, or sorry, within Missouri. Uh, and in this, uh, that's kind of what we see reflective, not only Missouri, but a little bit more also within the country at large. Stephen Rogers is our guest. He's a professor uh, at St. Louis University, director of the SLU YouGov poll. I want to talk about your methodology. I find it really interesting. Polling has gotten, gotten increasingly more difficult to do. Uh, people mm-hmm. have moved away. The landline is a thing of the past. People don't answer their cell phones. Uh, And you have kind of addressed that problem with the way you structure this poll. Explain that. 
Sure. So the way our poll is an online poll uh, that's conducted by YouGov. Um, and so YouGov is a very reputable poster. For example, if you watch Face the Nation each week, you will see probably new polling data from YouGov there. Um, the Economist also uses YouGov. And then here what YouGov does is they recruit um, a rough sample that is representative of Missouri likely voters. And so then people opt into this sample in which they would say, well, we first kind of screen, are you a registered voter? Then we ask them, how likely are you to vote in the upcoming elections? And then we uh, use that in order to kind of screen out to make sure we get a representative sample of Missouri um, in terms of like say the likely voter population. And in this, we also use a method called waiting. And so as you said, for example, landlines are less in use, cell phones are less in use, and there may be some individuals who are more or less likely to kind of answer different polls. And so then what YouGov does is then they rely on census data and say different larger surveys in order to understand kind of, okay, what is the state of Missouri's demographics like? So how many men, how many women are there? How many African-Americans, how many Caucasians are there? And then we use statistical procedures in order to weight that in order to make our sample representative of Missouri itself. Yeah, really interesting concept. It works well. Um, I'm always fascinated by your polls because it's not just about the political horse racing. You get into issues as well, and you did in this survey, certainly. Uh, mm -hmm. And you looked at a couple of recent Supreme Court decisions and how those played out among the electorate in Missouri. Exactly. Yeah. So we polled uh, on two different Supreme Court decisions. Um, we polled on the Joe Biden student loans plan. And then we also polled on the, whether or not colleges should allow race-based admissions. And then here, Missourians largely appear to agree with what the court's decisions were. And so, for example, 52 percent of Missouri likely voters agreed with striking down uh, Joe Biden's student loan plan. And then 22 percent of voters um, stated that race should not be um, kind of considered within college admissions. And so this is both consistent with kind of what the Supreme Court ruled. However, kind of interestingly, so we poll on the Supreme Court um, in each poll in terms of their approval, but we actually found that even though Missouri voters agreed with these decisions, their approval of the Supreme Court dropped by about 5% since February. Yeah, that's interesting. And I probably replicated all across the country, uh, I would think. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a kind of a political science geek, Dr. Rogers. Uh, I almost, mm -hmm. almost completed my Ph.D. and then I got sidetracked and ran for office. But one of my professors was one of the, the leading scholars on state legislatures at the time, Alan Rosenthal. He was at the Eagleton Institute of Politics up in uh, Rutgers University, and he'd written one of the yep. early uh, textbooks on legislative life. You've written uh, a, a book now called Accountability in State Legislatures. What have you found? Uh, great. Yeah, so I have a book coming out next month, as you said, um, Accountability in State Legislatures. And the question that that book addresses is, do elections hold state legislators accountable for what they do? And so I think many listeners can kind of, like, kind of look at what's happened even in the last few years and kind of see how states have become increasingly important in terms of like basically policymaking. And so now, for example, many abortion laws are being determined more in the states. Many gun laws are being determined more in the states. And these state legislators are going to be responsible for a considerable amount of policymaking in the country. And so then here, a question I had is like, okay, we have this system of government, we have a democracy or a republic, in which we have this idea that the legislators will have some incentive to do what voters want. 
And so then here, kind of like, do voters and do elections actually hold state legislators accountable for what they do? So if they pass an unpopular law, do voters, for example, punish those state legislators? And the argument of the book is largely that there's little evidence that state legislators are held accountable for what they do. And this is not only because, say, of voters, but it's also because of political elites. So, for example, over one-third of state legislators who run for re-election run without either a primary or general election opponent. And so otherwise stated, one-third of state legislators win re-election just by signing up. And then a little bit more on the voter side, like I did a national survey, and it's the first one that I'm actually aware of um, in terms of being a national survey. Only 11% of voters can tell me who their state legislator is. And generally, only about 50 to 60 percent of voters can tell me which party controls their state legislature. And so for me, if it's a little bit tricky or confusing to kind of think about holding state legislators accountable, if you don't know who your state legislator is or you don't know what they do from day to day. And so with state legislatures kind of taking on so many more important issues, whether it be guns, abortion, or as we polled in the SLU UGOV poll, LGBTQ issues, then it raises this question is like our elections actually doing what they want them to, what we want them to do to kind of give legislators incentives to represent their constituents perfect he is Stephen rogers he's the phd there at st louis u he's the director of the slu yougov poll if people wanted to find your book Stephen, where can they go uh, so if you just go to stephenmrogers.com slash book, um, there's information about how to pre-order and additionally more like summaries of all the chapters. Thanks so much. He joined us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. And, John, uh, interesting that there's no accountability being held to these legislators. We've had this conversation, right? Uh, bills get introduced in Jefferson City, uh, right to work, uh, et cetera. It's the voters, when they're given the opportunity, wind up overturning that. But it doesn't seem to affect whether or not their state legislator, who may have been wrong on one of the issues they care about, they don't hold them accountable for Yeah, it. and, you know, we've talked about this. I would be fascinating to know, fascinated to know what percentage of elected officials in from state legislatures on up to Congress uh, effectively get elected in a party primary. So that they're just they're in a non-competitive state or a non-competitive district uh, from a partisan standpoint. So you don't have to if you're in a Democrat district, you don't have to worry about your Republican candidate. You just have to beat your Democrat opponent, and that will mean you're going to probably want to move to the left. And the same on the on the Republican side. If you win the primary, the election's over. And so if you have a primary, he said 11 percent go completely unopposed. But I'll bet you the number that wins in a primary is closer to 70. True that. And and that's part of the problem. We have this extremist positions, whether they be coming from the city of St. Louis or Kansas City or the extremism that comes out of Jefferson City. There's no incentive to move to the middle. Uh, there's the incentive to talk to the the rigid base. And as a result, uh, we've got this stalemate that's going on get. here. And we say it all the time. You have to participate in primaries. Primaries may be as important as general elections. I think they're more important. Because that's where you're selecting these that's candidates. Right. And that's where you're selecting your office holders. No question about it. That's Michael Kelly over there. I'm John Hancock over here. When we come back, Pat White is going to join us. He's a great singer. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no, not that guy. Uh, this is a St. Louis Labor Council president talking about the Labor Day parade, Michael. It's over with. What? Why? We'll find out after this. Right. Best newscast in the country. The KMOX Newsroom, national winner of the Edward R. Murrow Award for Best Newscast in America. Hey, buddy, you know what's right around the corner? 
Right around the corner. It's my vacation. Christmas. Oh, yes. Christmas at the Kelly House was considered to be Labor Day. I probably need to take the tree down. And for the entire span of my life, I've gone down to the Labor Day Parade. Right downtown here, right outside the window. My dad, when I was a kid, used to wake me up at 5 in the morning before the sun had even come up. And we would drive down. All my other buddies were at home sleeping. You had the day off. We were going to the Labor Day Parade. Because we were going to celebrate the rights of American workers. Yes. And joining us now on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line is the man who has that job now. His name is Pat White. He's the president of the St. Louis Labor Council, one of the most powerful labor organizations in the country. Patrick, how are you? Good morning, gents. I'm uh, checking in at 63205 here in my office. <laughs> and you've never looked better. Yeah, Pat. <laughs> Keep it up. By Labor Day, you may be down to 195 and uh, hit your I'm goal. In. In my dreams, in my dreams. Good morning, guys. Good to be on. Hey, Pat, uh, we're doing away with the Labor Day Parade this year. My dad always affectionately referred to it as the ugliest parade in America. (laughs) Just a bunch of trucks and moving equipment, moving around, honking horns. It served its purpose for a long time, but times change and, and, and the parade's going away. But people can still go out and celebrate Labor Day with you. Tell us about it. Yeah, what we decided to do, we uh, decided to change it up a little bit this year. We're going to have what they call a festival, and they do this in certain parts of the uh, country. They do it over in Kansas City as opposed to a parade. And Really, we've got union musicians that are going to come out and play for a couple hours. We've got stuff for the kids to do. We're going to have a tug-of-war contest for both men and women where, you know, the the, the guys and gals get to uh, flex their muscles and see who the strongest union is. And, you know, we got about uh, Knights of Columbus and Florissant. It's going to be uh, Sunday from 12 to 4, and there's, you know, going to be uh, some good union Bud Light being served, and we're going to have some water and hot dogs and hamburgers, and anybody's invited to come on out. So we're hoping to, yeah. you know, get people out. So. And let me just tell people that's Sunday, this Sunday, August 27th. So Labor Day weekend, there's no festival. It's happening this Sunday from 12 to 4. It's at the Knights of Columbus uh, Florissant Park. They're up in Florissant, Missouri. Uh, Pat, um, tell us, uh, I don't even know what I was going to ask you anymore. It's I'm so flabbergasted. Well, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's so distraught about the parade. Oh, it's open to everybody, right? You don't only have to be a union member, correct? Absolutely. Just like the parade. I mean, uh, you know, we, we wanted to do something for the members and, and, and their families. And, yeah, this it's just open. Anybody wants to come in, there's no charge. Um, you know, you can stop by and say hello. I'm sure there'll be some... Uh, you know, politicians up there. I know the mayor of Larson, who's welcomed us with open arms. Mayor Lowry is going to be up there in his golf cart, and you know we've extended invitations to you know all the all the big shot politicians in the area, and hope to get some of them out there to you know mingle with the group. But uh, yeah, we just decided to do it this weekend. Uh, you know, not only to to give folks. Uh, break from the parade, but also give them that three-day weekend. A lot of our younger members were telling us, you know, they, they enjoy getting out of town for the weekend, but then they got to come back. You know, like you said, I've been going to the Labor Day parade since I was a kid. My dad was very involved in the unions, and, you know, I never really had a Labor Day weekend where I could go for three days. And uh, so we figured, you know, let's do it the week before, give everybody that weekend, and we'll just try something new and see what happens. We can always go back. I mean, I'm looking at a sign on my, my office, of my, old, my old union, the gas workers, from 1935 and all the the guys are walking down Owl Street and ties and everything else, and you know. So this is a—it's an old tradition that we're, we're we're breaking here. We just want to see if you know if this works, and if not, well, maybe we'll go back to doing it do it the old way. He's Pat White. He's the head of the uh, St. Louis Labor Council, the president of it. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. You said union musicians out there. I was a member of Local Two One Nine Seven myself back in the day, Pat. They're a very active group, and I can tell you that. 
my wife's an event planner, and she, she hires them all the time, and I can tell you they can play anything. And they're going to be there on Sunday, and, they, you know, they, I mean, they'll, they'll span all the decades. They'll play stuff from the, you know, uh, Charles Glenn, the, um, the old uh, guy who used to sing the National yeah. Anthems, a member, and him and his wife, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be there Sunday, but they, they play with this group, and, you know, they just, they'll sing anything from um, rhythm and blues all the way back to Sinatra to, to the 40s and 50s. It, it's, really, it's really entertaining and something for everybody to do, and they're a very talented group of, uh, of folks. He is Pat White, president of the St. Louis Labor Council. The Labor Day Festivals on this Sunday from noon to 4 at the Knights of Columbus Park in Florissant, Missouri. Go on up there, free beer, free food, tug of war, lots of going on. Pat, have a great Labor Day, and thanks for all you do. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, and uh, come on anytime. Have a, have a good weekend. All right, so, buddy, you're getting out of town. I am. And I'm getting out of town next week. Um, did I tell you this? No. So I'm leaving on Monday morning. Huh. I'm going to New York City. New oh, York yeah. City! Michael Kelly's going to be out of town. I'm Imagine going that. with my sisters and my mother oh. to New York City. Oh, We're going up there to see the Billy Joel concert at Madison Square Garden. I wonder if he's in the Musicians Union. I would think Billy Joel would be in the Might Union, be. yeah. I digress. Go ahead. Yeah, but anyway, I'm going to be out of town. At the same time, you're going to be up north in Michigan enjoying your life and... Uh, Hanging with the family is baby Tula coming along. Tula's coming, man. Yeah, she's coming. Uh, it's going to be fun. The last we'd heard, you went out and purchased a set of bongos for her because I you did. think she has music rhythm. Oh, now, I laughed does. because her parents probably want to strangle you for giving her the bongos. Well, the bongos are still at our house. So oh, okay. She plays them when she comes over. That's poor thought uh, process on your side. No, no. I mean, she's uh, she's just kind of you know getting into it. She still likes to bang on the table with her hand like that. Uh, but she's got a great sense of rhythm. She's got a tremendous amount of musical aptitude, I do believe. And, yeah, little Tula is going to be joining us uh, on Lake Michigan. I cannot wait. How are you getting there? Are you doing a road trip? We are. Oh, buddy, that'll be fun so going it, up Highway 55 uh, up through Chicago. Yeah, and, yeah. Woo. We got the mini. We got a minivan. and uh, Oh, boy. going to load our stuff in the minivan. going to put my father-in-law in the minivan mm-hmm. and uh, Gus the dog. In the minivan. Oh, the dog gets to go on yeah, the trip. Yeah, that's the whole family. Uh, Johnny's flying in from uh, Chicago. So, oh, yeah. he's going to ride from St. Louis all the way up to Michigan? No, with he's, you guys flying, oh, he's flying. Oh, yeah, good yeah. for him. Yeah, right. Hey, that's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. I want to remind you that you can see us this Sunday morning at 8.30 on Fox there. 2 in St. Louis. Gene Evans, former director of the Republican Party, will join me on the uh, right side. Uh, she does a fine job. Gene does a far fine, more aesthetically fine job. pleasing than having to look across at you. Yeah. Uh, and exactly. then you'll be back, John, for Labor Day. You and I are going to host and hold forth on Labor Day right here for Chris Ranji and Amy uh, Marks. That's what they tell us. So we'll see you then. Everybody have a great rest of your day and a wonderful weekend. It's Chris and Amy next on Camo X.